0: If you're looking for proven tools for your workplace toolbox, you're in the right place. Now let's get after it. Hello, and welcome to another episode of the Working Conversations podcast, where we talk all things leadership, business communication, and trends in organizational life. I'm your host, Dr. Janelle Anderson. I will admit it. I get my best ideas and do some of my very best strategic work while walking my dog or staring out the window or swimming laps or on a long drive. A new trend in management would suggest that these are not valuable exercises and I shouldn't be paid for them because I'm not working. According to a recent article in the New York Times, eight out of 10 of the largest employers in the United States Track the productivity metrics of individual workers, many in real time. In recent history, these have been lower paying jobs, delivery drivers, grocery cashiers, and let us not forget Amazon, who has been widely criticized for monitoring second-by-second activity of their warehouse staff who are pulling product and getting it ready for shipment. Productivity monitoring recently has seeped from the warehouses and the cashier lines into office work known as digital productivity monitoring, this is the moment by moment tracking of your keystrokes, mouse movements, phone calls, and Teams or Zoom meetings. For many large companies, this process of tracking how employees spend every minute of the day has become common practice. From radiologists, to therapists, to lawyers, to doctors and architects, no profession seems to be immune. Of course, in many professions, the concept of billable hours has been around for a long time. Attorneys, consultants, and the like. But this, this goes beyond that. In some cases, way, way beyond. That same Times article details the experience of a hospice chaplain whose employer tracked productivity points. This many for a funeral, and this many points for a phone call to a dying patient. I suppose if you have short calls with lots of patients, you earn more points. But what if that first person you called really needs a longer conversation to cope with their own mortality? (laughs) Now, oddly enough, as I was reading this article, the New York Times was tracking my time on the article, how much I'd scrolled and whether or not I'd clicked on any of the links in the article or the ads. And when I stopped reading to take notes on a second monitor, it logged my idle time, time when I was anything but idle. At one point, a message popped up on the screen saying, warning, hey, are you still there? You've been idle for 33 seconds. And then the seconds kept on ticking upwards while I took notes on the ludicrousy of this very thing. Now, as I was reading, I was sincerely hoping that someone at the Times had a sense of humor with the article rather than actually monitoring my reading time for some ulterior purpose. Like maybe the journalist doesn't get paid as much if my attention wanders from her article. (laughs) And in full disclosure, the Times gave me a grade of poor when I finished the article based on my metrics, and it told me that my manager would be in touch soon. (laughs) So certainly this was a bit of a spoof, But obviously, they have the ability to track my time, including the time when they think I am idle. Now, just for your own edification, we've linked up that article in the show notes for today's episode. While the intent behind these tracking systems were initially stemming from positive intent, and to be fair, these systems have been around since long before the pandemic struck and people began working from home in large numbers. So the positive intent was to help office workers see just how much time they wasted, either doing nothing or attempting to multitask. But of course, these systems can't tell if you're helping a colleague with an important task or getting some useful coaching from your manager. And again, while these systems were around long before the pandemic, they've become much more ubiquitous in the age of work from home and work from anywhere. And these systems are cause for concern, much concern, especially when they are used to determine pay, chances for advancement, and other career and financial opportunities. Because quite frankly, they're not accurate. And in essence, this is a step backwards, a big step backwards, oh, about a hundred years or so, give or take. Just prior to the turn of the 20th century, Frederick Winslow Taylor was developing his famous philosophy of scientific management. He went on to publish his findings in a book called The Principles of Scientific Management in 1911. He starts the book with the following statement, the principal object of management should be to secure the maximum prosperity for the employer coupled with the maximum prosperity for each employee. What he meant was that the organization and the employees should work together, that companies should try to strive to get the most out of the employee, and that employees should be fairly compensated for their efforts, and that both of these things are in everyone's best interests. This was meant to be a win-win arrangement. Employers would get the absolute most efficient work from the employees, and workers could benefit from higher wages shorter working hours, and better work conditions. Now recall that these are the days of manual labor turning to automation in factories. And these were times when management and labor were in two very different camps and Taylor was trying to bring them together. Now, while I'm aware that this sentiment of labor and management being in two different camps is still strong in some industries today, It's not relevant, and in fact, it's antithetical to what most companies, especially those companies that employ white collar or knowledge workers, claim to be up to. This episode is made possible by Instacart. If you haven't already started using Instacart, now is the time, my friend. Now, I'm the first one to say that I actually enjoy a trip to the grocery store. I really do. But you know what I like doing even better? Making this podcast. When I was deep in the development of this podcast, outlining and recording the first few episodes, my kids reminded me that they needed to eat. Instacart to the rescue. In absolutely record time, Magnolia, my Instacart shopper that day, delivered chicken nuggets, milk, avocados, fresh berries, and a host of other groceries we needed. When life gets busy, or when you just want to feel like royalty and have someone do it for you, there's Instacart. Get $10 off your first order when you sign up at workingconversations.com forward slash Instacart. Now, back to the show. Taylor's research, if you're not familiar with it, consisted of watching people work, looking for either incremental ways or dramatically different ways in which the work could be done more efficiently. One of his most famous studies was at the Bethlehem Steel Company. After analyzing workers doing a wide range of physical labor tasks, mainly shoveling a variety of different materials, Taylor concluded that the efficiency of the whole operation would be greatly improved if each worker had a better shovel. Rather than having a one-size-fits-all shovel, as Bethlehem Steel Company did, Taylor recommended that a worker who had to break through heavy, dense substances like iron ore should have a shovel that could better handle the heavy loads each time they dug in. With their old one-size-fits-all shovels, these workers were so exhausted that they could barely move at the end of the day. On the other hand, workers who had to scoop light materials, such as ash, were using identical shovels. A full scoop of ash was so light that, as Taylor put it, it was manifestly impossible to even approximate a day's work, no matter how fast the workers shoveled. After Taylor analyzed the various tasks and the men who were completing them, because they were all men in the factories back in those days, he determined the optimal weight of a loaded shovel should be around 21 pounds. A man could shovel that amount of weight all day without becoming exhausted toward the end of his shift. Again, this was meant to benefit the company and the individual worker. The company benefited from more coal or ash or whatever, being moved faster from point A to point B. And the employee benefited because Taylor was looking for the best tools and the best physical posture to do the work and to do it in a way that prevented injury and maximized output. So it was good for the worker too. And remember in those days, many compensation systems were based wholly on output. You got paid for how many widgets you produced or how many pounds of coal you moved. To be able to produce more, meant you would get paid more. And again, we're back to win-win. But this was manual labor. What we do now is so fundamentally different. Tracking at this level is demoralizing. And in times like these, with an incredibly tight labor market, it seems that we want to do more to attract and retain talent, rather than to repel it away with ancient methods that aren't accurate, and don't fairly measure the work that's being done. So let's go back to measuring productivity and the value of a job well done by, well, whether the job gets done and whether it gets done well. Not by how many keystrokes or mouse movements we made in the process of getting the work done. So I have a question for you. Is your organization using digital productivity monitoring? Do you even know? If you're not sure, I suggest you find out. And if you have an interesting experience with it, drop me a line at Janelle, that's J-A-N-E-L, at workingconversations.com. I would love to hear about your experience. And in the meantime, proceed with caution. Technology obviously is a tremendous asset to work life. But in the wrong hands, or misused, it can be a great detriment to work life. I'll leave you with some wise words from Oren Etzioni, Professor Emeritus of Computer Science at the University of Washington and founding CEO of the Allen Institute for Artificial Intelligence. He says, quote, New technology is not good or evil in and of itself. It's all about how people choose to use it end quote. Until next time, be well, my friends. Thanks so much for listening. If you like what you're hearing on the podcast, head on over to Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts and give us five stars and a quick review. It really makes a difference and it keeps us bringing you valuable content that you can put into play in your life. I'm Dr. Janelle Anderson, and this is Working Conversations.